We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America Podcast. My name is Bill Trochi, Senior Editor at SportingNews.com, joined, as always, by our lead college football writer, Bill Bender, at SportingNews.com. And, Bill, once again, we have another special guest today. We get the the guru of IrishBreakdown.com, uh, Brian Driscoll. He's a publisher. He's got the Irish Breakdown podcast. He does about 5,000 podcasts a week. He draws in a Notre Dame audience in a very crowded Notre Dame space. He is the uh, the top dog with the sources, with the information, and, and, and the analysis. Brian, welcome in. That was quite the introduction. I, you, you, <laughs> I got a lot to live up to here, so I got to bring my A game today. I'm ready to roll. Of course. You always bring your A game. So, um, to uh, you know, last week we talked some Georgia football. We've talked some Nebraska football in this offseason. Now we're going to talk a little Notre Dame football. Uh, it has not been the smoothest off season in South Bend, uh, as Marcus Freeman put, uh, you know, gets ready for his second season there. Uh, Bill and I were talking about this before the show. This is the the second year in a row uh, Notre Dame has lost uh, a coach, a prominent coach, to uh, an SEC job uh, in a lateral move. You know, Brian Kelly to LSU, head coach, and then it was Tommy Reese. Surprisingly, was hired by Alabama. Uh, offensive coordinator to offensive coordinator. Now, you know, uh, when Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for another head coaching job, the Oklahoma people did not like that. And I'm guessing Notre Dame does not want to be viewed as a stepping stone place either. Well, the I think the Reese thing hits more on that line than the Kelly thing did. I, I think Notre Dame was ready to move on from Kelly, right? I mean, I, I know that Jack Swarbrick was. I think a lot of fans were. They were just kind of like, okay, it's been 12 years. You are who you are, It's which is good. You know, I've done good things, five straight years of 10-plus wins, but this is who you are. You're not going to win the big games. You're not going to lead them to a championship. So they were ready to move on. And he has a very grating personality, as does Tommy Reese. But I don't think the Tommy Reese thing was in the same vein because I think there was an expectation that, boy, there's a ton of talent coming back next year. You went out, got Sam Hartman. This is your alma mater. Like, everything is falling into place. And then, boom, off to Alabama, which – I mean, we could we could sit here and have a debate about those two rosters from an offensive standpoint. It's not really debatable from a defensive standpoint, but I think the the debate from an offensive standpoint is is one we could have. And then you're leaving for there. 
So I think there's a lot of people frustrated by that. I think looking at it for Tommy Reese, I think it was a good thing for him. I I, I think he needed to kind of get somewhere. He's still young. He's he's smart, but he needs a lot of he still needs a lot of grooming. And he just wasn't going to get that at Notre Dame under Coach Freeman, who's still just learning to be a head coach. Whereas mm-hmm. Nick Saban's going to be able to kind of, you know, put some of that old wisdom on him that I, that I think Coach Reese needed. I think he needed to get out of the Notre Dame, you know, universe and and just kind of spread his wings a little bit. So I think it'll be good for him, but it doesn't mean that Notre Dame fans necessarily liked it a lot. And then I think the perception, that's the big thing with this offseason, Bill. It's been perception. The perception of how this all goes down. People are losing their minds. Notre Dame had to settle for their third, the number three offensive coordinator. Well, so did Alabama, right? But it's just it's the hit after hit after hit from a perception standpoint that has made this a – an off season that you just say, boy, this this could have probably gone better. <laughs> There's no <laughs> doubt. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Right. Let's talk about the, yeah, the, the, the national perception is Notre Dame wanted to hire... Andy Ludwig, Marcus Freeman wanted to hire Andy Ludwig. They would not pay the buyout. He had to settle for his uh, for Jared Parker, the tight ends coach, who was already on staff. There's a lot of layers to that, but that's the perception. Take us through your version of how it all went down. Well, I'm, I'm quite confident that this is how it went down. Obviously, Notre Dame first brought in Colin Klein, and I think that that was a, a guy that Coach Freeman was very attracted to as a, as a as a young coach and the things he does offensively, the interview did not go great to be completely honest with you. And I don't think the fit was there in a lot of different ways. So they moved on to Andy Ludwig, who was a guy that, that I know had a ton of respect from the Notre Dame staff going into the process. Cause he's an experienced guy. And there was a thought that he would also bring Joe Hart, Jim Hart, Joe Harding, the offensive line coach from Utah with him. So once Harry retired, it was kind of like killing two birds with one stone and that's not getting enough conversation either. So Notre Dame brings him in. There was this huge, you know, rumors about how Notre Dame thought the buyout was this, but it was actually that, which is just to me incompetence by the people that are in charge, the administration people in charge of getting those figures. 
they parade him to the hockey game. And of course, you know, you could say, well, they didn't know that everyone was going to, well, yeah, you did. You knew that if you're at the hockey game with the OC candidate, that you're, there's going to be people there. And in the way that the Notre Dame, some of the Notre Dame paparazzi ish type of media do things like that. And then all of a sudden it's, Hey, you're feeling great. All the sources we talked to, it went great. He loved it here. We love him. They just got to figure out the contracts. Coach Whittingham is at the Super Bowl, so it's going to take a couple days for him to get back, and they're going to do all this. Well, then Monday night comes around, and we start getting word that he it's 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 over. It's it's not going to happen, and it's a buyout issue. You know, I reached out to my sources in Notre Dame, was told that hey, we've got to move on, we've got to do this, and it's it's time to move on. And we tried to get the buyout down, couldn't get it down, and then the next day, after all heck broke broke loose. No name goes back and says, okay, we're ready to pay the full buyout now. And Andy Ludwig is like, I'm going to stay at Utah. Well, of course he's going to stay at Utah after all of that, right? And so now Notre Dame is saying, well, hey, we offered to pay the buyout, right? I mean, we, we offered to pay the full buyout. So the buyout wasn't an issue. Yes, it was, because if the buyout wasn't an issue, you wouldn't have been trying to talk him down off the buyout as, harsh, as harshly as you did. You would have talked to him. He just said no, and you just said, okay, cool, let's make this happen. But instead, they went a different direction, and it just was a big egg on their face. And then Jack Swarbrick has continued to make it worse with his responses to it. You had that petty letter that he wrote on email that he wrote on Friday, which was just condescending and tone deaf. You know, then he he forces he trots Marcus Freeman out there on Jared Parker's introductory press conference to address the issue. So now the shine is off of Jared Parker's introductory press conference because people are talking about you know the comments about that, and and because Jack Swarbrick didn't have the guts to get out there and and defend his actions himself. He sends Marcus Freeman out there. So it's been a lot of black eyes one after another. But at the end of the day, if you talk to people around Notre Dame, they're very happy with the hires they've made. And, and you know, the Gino Gadouli hires getting almost no play because of all this. That was a great hire. You know, Jared Parker, someone that Marcus – look, let's be real. Marcus Freeman brought Jared Parker here to eventually be his offensive coordinator. I don't think he anticipated it being this soon, but that was always the intention. And, and we've always known this. And, and of course, Joe Rudolph is someone who has a who comes with a, a strong reputation as offensive line coach. So if you could take perception aside, it's been a quality offseason, not a great offseason. I would have rather had Andy Ludwig and let Jared Ludwig or let Jared Parker kind of learn under him for a couple of years, and he retires, and then boom, that's not what happened. But the perception of it is just just really bad looks because of the way it went down. Where you you got turned down by two offensive coordinators. You got turned down by Matt Luke on the offensive line. It's just been one black eye after another, and uh, I think that's the lesson that needs to learn is maybe you guys need to be working on your uh, on on your leaks coming out of the office, and maybe you guys need to work on your messaging a little bit and understand you can't control the narrative. It's going to get out if it's not from your side. The other side's going to get it out. You guys need to do a lot better about controlling the narrative and than they have. And I think that's something that this athletic department is going to have to learn. Well, so what's your perception? Hi, Brian. That's Bill. Hey, Bill. Oh, Bill. How are you? Um, <laughs> so what about the perception? And, and you know, I write a lot about the heavyweights, so to speak, the, the Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. You and I have talked about them and Notre Dame trying to take that next step in recruiting. I think Michigan's gone through some things that Notre Dame's gone through the last two off seasons where it's like, OK, you had momentum. And then Jim Harbaugh starts flirting with the NFL. What are we doing so what is your perception or what is the actually the reality of Notre Dame not only competing recruiting with the big three that I call, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and financially? Because, you know, at, at the end of the day, Ohio State kept Brian Hartline. Alabama went out and got Tommy Reese. Georgia made a quick hire after um, 
their offensive coordinator left. So is the perception that Notre Dame's still in getting into that weight class? What what would you say? Well, I think that's very accurate to say that the perception is that, right? And and well, Notre Dame has the money. Guys, we all know Notre Dame is not hurting for money. If they want if they wanted to raise the two million eight two point eight million dollars, I was told this by two 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 big boosters in Notre Dame. If they would have asked us to pay the the full buyout, we could have raised that in like I, I said, what in like an hour? He goes, if that. You know, I mean, that would have been no problem if it meant getting an offensive coordinator that you want. And so it's it. the perception is that they're just the, – the way it was all went down, you didn't know the real buyout numbers. It just looks rinky-dink, right? Like it looks JV in how the process went down from an administrative level. And then, of course, that falls onto the head coach. Well, maybe Marcus Freeman doesn't. Marcus Freeman identified the guy he wanted, got that guy to really like what's going on, and then once it got turned over to the you know the the, the negotiators, that's when things that's when all heck broke loose, right? And so, you know, I think there's that that perception is there for a reason, Bill, because it, it was earned this off season. It was earned with how they went about this process. Now, the the key at the end of the day is I don't care if you got your number two guy, number three guy, number five guy, whatever. Did you get guys that can coach football? You know, and and the and the point that I made is you know who else didn't get their first or second offensive coordinator? Alabama right? USC, when they hired Pete Carroll, get guys can coach. And then all this takes care of itself. But if you didn't get guys that that can coach and these guys aren't able to get the job done in the fall, then it just is going to make you look worse and worse. And it's going to look like Notre Dame has taken a huge step back in the last two years as opposed to forward. So there's a lot of pressure on him. And I, and I think that's why, to be honest with you, Marcus Freeman went the route that he went. So a lot of people look at what he settled on Jared Parker. I wrote an article before he hired Jared Parker. And I said, look, with everything going on, things that I know that are happening behind the scenes, there's a lot of people with competing agendas at Notre Dame. That's been that way for a long time. Brian Kelly was veteran enough to be able to just to, to say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And I said, one of the things I, I wrote is Marcus Freeman needs to surround himself with more pro Marcus Freeman people, people that he knows and he trusts that will, will number one, have his back. And number two, he respects enough and they respect him enough to be honest with him about what they need to do. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, Joe Rudolph was a GA at Ohio State for three of Marcus Freeman's five years at Ohio State. They've known each other for a long time. Gino Gadulli and Marcus coached together at Cincinnati for several years. There's trust there. And then, of course, Jared Parker and him have known each other for a decade going back to their time at Purdue. He hired people that he knows, that he trusts, because it's like he's basically like, look, I, I have a vision for what I want to get done, and I need to make sure I'm bringing in people that, that are, that are going to carry out that vision, not people who have to kind of placate their egos and, you know, do the do the happy dance with them to make sure that they're they're not happy or looking around in other jobs. I'm bringing in people that I trust, and it the perception of it is bad. But if you talk to to people around Marcus Freeman, they'll say, I think he's very happy with how it panned out because now he has more allies around him and people that he believes in that have the ability to go out there and get the job done. We'll see if he's right or not. But that's where he's coming from on this. Let's look at Jared Parker a little bit. Um, I did a little bit of research on him. He's offensive coordinator uh, for two years at West Virginia. Uh, he took over an offense that finished 119th uh, in 2019. His first year, they bumped all the way up to 50th in the nation in 2020. 2021, they slipped back to 86 in the nation. Uh, he was demoted uh, on the WVU staff to uh, – might have been quarterbacks. Co- I'm not sure. Receivers. Just okay, receivers. receivers. Somebody else came in, an offensive coordinator. Uh, well, the head and- coach uh, took over play calling duties. And the head coach was always the, the play caller. 
he would play, he would call red zone stuff at, at mm-hmm. West Virginia. He was never the full-time play caller. That was always Neil Brown, the head coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a lot of butting of heads. Neil Brown wanted to go one way. Jared Parker wanted to go another way. And head coach is always going to win those battles. <laughs> yeah. So what's your expectation? Just as, you know, kind of giving people, uh, you know, a national view of uh, his experience. Uh, I know the, the – uh, the positive reviews out of the tight end room in his one year in South Bend, uh, you know, got a lot to work with Michael Mayer for sure. sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I think uh, Mayer had some really good things to say about him. What's your expectation next year for, for, for the offense and, and, and uh, what it will look like? Well, I think the thing that impresses you first and foremost is he got Michael Mayer to improve as a player throughout his junior year. It's hard to get a guy that did what Michael Mayer did in 2021 to improve fundamentally. And Michael Mayer talked about this in the first press conference after Jared, after like they had a, I mean, he had been hired for a while, but it was the first press conference we had with Michael Mayer. And he's like, you know, we're in there in the film room and we're going over last year and he's just nitpicking this and he's hammering me for this. And Mayer kind of joked, he's like, you know, coach, I thought I was pretty good last year, you know? And and he joked like, but that's what I want. That's what I need. Someone who's not going to just settle on, well, you're pretty good. I'm going to worry about everybody else. I'm going to push you to get better. You saw his blocking improve. I mean, so that was impressive, right? Does that mean he can be an offensive coordinator? I have no idea. You know, talking to people in the program, I've talked to former players. They say this guy's really smart. You know, he knows the offense. He's a former receivers coach, played receiver in the SEC at Kentucky. And he was a scholarship wide receiver at Kentucky. That's been the position he's primarily recruited. And I think he said all the right things at this press conference, right? We're, we're an inside-out program, which you have to be at Notre Dame. But we also know that we need to get the ball out in space more. And, you know, I think we're going to see more RPOs from him, more diversity from the run game. So it all sounds good. It's can he carry it out? And and I, honestly, I don't care about play calling. He'll he'll be able to call plays fine. The biggest and most important things for me as an offensive coordinator are what do you do to get your team ready to to play to their full potential in the days leading up to Saturday? I think that's the more important part. That's the bigger question mark because he hasn't had to do that because Neil Brown set that agenda at West Virginia. So it'll be more his deal now. But the thing I think you look at with Marcus Freeman is he just surrounded him with veteran guys that have called plays and ran an offense in the past. Gino Goduli was the offensive coordinator in 2022 at Cincinnati. He was a guy that we've heard sources, Bill, I don't know if you've heard this as well, but we've heard from sources that Gino called a lot of plays. There were games where Gino was the play caller in 2021 during the playoff run. Joe Rudolph was the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin uh, during Paul Chris's entire tenure. He's the offensive coordinator at Pitt from 2012 to 2014. So you're bringing in guys that have a lot of experience doing that job, plus you already have Dylan McCullough there. Uh, so I think that's the thing too, is you're, you're surrounding him with more veteran coaches that have done this. So he doesn't have to figure it out all on his own. You have resources there that I think should help him make this transition. Well, Brian, so tell me this, you've got new OC and we kind of know what their offense looked like at West Virginia. You talked about Gino and you talk, I mean, I obviously know about him being in Ohio, watching Cincinnati play, kind of know what their offense looks like. Then you bring in Sam Hartman. Wake Forest didn't have a passing attack that matched what Notre Dame did last year. I mean, it, it relied a lot on, you know, vertical deep shots, the AJ Perry, those kind of things. I know, you know, the X's and O's of this a little bit better than I do. So what do you anticipate Notre Dame's offensive philosophy is how much different will this look from what we saw last year? And how much does Hartman maybe allow them to open it up? Maybe more. Oh, a ton. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think people appreciate, outsiders especially this is no no disrespect at all because you bill you've got to cover right. a ton of teams you can't watch every single play of right. Notre Dame and break down their you know 11 versus 12 personnel percentages and how often they throw outside the numbers I get it but 
their offense was incredibly limited last year once Tyler Buckner went down. And we saw it in the bowl game, right? Once you brought Tyler Buckner back, that offense looked dramatically different than what it did during the regular season. You know, you're throwing the ball downfield, you're taking shots, you're getting to the perimeter way more. Notre Dame threw uh, Jack Cohn in 2021. Here's an example. Jack Cohn threw more passes outside the numbers to the right side of the field then Drew Pine threw outside the numbers to both sides of the field the entire season as a starter. They were a very limited, condensed offense. They didn't have much of a vertical passing game, which I think speaks volumes to the fact that they were still able to run the ball the way that they did when everybody knew what was coming. Clemson knew exactly what was coming, and they still couldn't stop it, right? And so I think that's where this offense begins. You've got arguably the best tackle tandem in the country, coming back. You've got a veteran center coming back. You have very talented young linemen. Your tight end room lost a star, but look, Notre Dame's not hurting for talented tight ends. Right. you got a very deep running back room. That's where it starts, right? And that's Marcus Freeman's vision. Marcus Freeman, we're going to be a balanced offense, but we're going to be a team that can run the football. we got to be able to run the football on whoever we play, but we, I also understand that we need to be able to beat teams throwing the football. And how do you complement a power running game? It's You've got to be able to spread the field more formationally. So I think we'll see less 12 personnel this year, more 11. Now, we'll, 12 personnel is still going to be a big part of what they do, but more 21 personnel with two backs, uh, more 11. And when Notre Dame goes 21 personnel, it's two tr- tailbacks, so it's not like a fullback. But tr- you know the 21 speed personnel, more 11 personnel, they understand they got to attack the perimeter more. We're going to see more RPOs. We're going to see some similar concepts that we saw in the past, but I think they understand we're going to take some more shots. And what you talked about with Sam Hartman is exactly one of the big reasons this staff wanted Sam Hartman is because he is such a he's such a dynamic downfield passer. He's one of the best deep ball throwers they had and he had some big receivers like AT Perry and guys like that. But what did he what is he going to have another name? 65 215 Deion Colsey, 64 200 pounds Tobias Merriweather. You're bringing in Jaden Greathouse at 62 210. You've got 63 Braden Lynn James coming in as a freshman. You've got 62 215 Jaden Thomas there. That's the kind of weapons you're going to have. Plus, oh, I don't know, you have a, a, a bunch of 6'5-plus tight ends to throw the ball to. So that's what they wanted because they know, give me a deep ball thrower like that to complement this run game, and all of a sudden our receivers take off. And, and we didn't even talk about Lorenzo Styles, who, who had a disappointing sophomore year, but has shown the potential to be a, a, a dynamic 100-plus yard per game receiver. And so the, the, Notre Dame believes they have a lot of talent. They just felt the quarterback position was limiting and some of the things they did offensively were limiting and they feel they're going to open those things up a little bit. Are they going to look like, you know, USC? No, they're going to look like Notre Dame, a team that runs the football, but a team that's more balanced and able to attack the ball down the field. Because if you can start taking those teams that are trying to load the box and make them pay for loading the box, it makes it a lot harder to stop this run game. And, and Drew Pine, I love the kid, but he just he couldn't do that. Sam Hartman's going to be able to do that. And Tyler Buckner showed in the bowl game when, when he can protect the football, he can do that. And it made that defense very, that offense very hard to stop. Yeah. Um, Buckner, you know, Buckner has not proven to be very durable so far. He's, you know, a lot bigger. So I can see why, you know, Buckner looked good in the bowl game and this offense could be successful, but if there was some interest in Sam Hartman, you don't turn that down. And, um, you know, I think the you know both of them are going to be capable of being productive next year. Bill, I know I had one more question on the on the schedule, and then we'll send you on your way, Brian, to prepare for your next marathon oh. podcast that you put together. <laughs> I know you and I love to compare because you know I'm a Big Ten shill uh, that we love to compare <laughs> early season schedules. So uh, 
Yeah, Notre Dame's got a pretty favorable look there mm-hmm. as they get into the Ohio. So, you know, last year, obviously, I, we I was at the Ohio State game, and I was telling people their season's different last year if they play Notre Dame or Ohio State where they play them this year, mm-hmm. where it's not the first game where, you know, as Lou Holtz used to say, don't let a team beat you twice. It's exactly what happened, in my opinion anyway, especially in the fourth quarter. So Tennessee State, you know, Central Michigan, a trip to NC State, pretty favorable look, though. I mean, when you look at yeah. the big ones, USC, Ohio State, Clemson, what's your early read on that schedule? I mean, we're going to get into prediction season soon. I mean, what's your early read on that? I think it's a very well put together early schedule. One of the issues, Bill uh, Churchill, you know this, man. That Notre Dame used to have just ridiculously stupid September schedules. I mean, there was like one year it was like they started off with like Texas A and M, Nebraska, Michigan, Michigan State, and Purdue. I mean, you just you you can't do that, right? Because then by the time you get into September, you're already beat up. You've caught a loss. I think the way they get to set the schedule up this year is perfect. You've got Navy to start the season. Then you have Tennessee State at home. First time they've ever played an FCS team. First time they've ever played played an HBCU team. Then you've got a good contest on the road against NC State, who is no pushover. Tony Gibson's defense is very good. They return a lot of guys, bring a couple quarterbacks back who play plus. They bring in Brennan Armstrong from Virginia, reunite him with Robert and I, who they did some great things together statistically in 2021. So it's a good challenge. So you get that early season test that you've got to be ready for. You get to see who you are. And then after that, you come back home and you get Central Mission to kind of lick whatever wounds you may have, recover, rest after the NC State game. Hopefully, if you're Notre Dame, you get that W. But it's going to be a hard-fought W. Come home against Central Michigan, kind of a build-yourself-up game, and then the Buckeyes come to town. And then that starts a really a really challenging stretch for them. But but challenging stretch of winnable games. So, you know, you obviously have the Ohio State game, and then you follow that up with – with a, a trip to Duke and, and Mike Elko's doing some really did some really good things there. Riley Leonard is a is a was really a breakout quarterback in the ACC for me. That won't be easy at Louisville with Jeff Brom won't be easy, but winnable game. Then home against USC. So you've got a and then you finish with Pitt, Clemson, Wake Forest, and Stanford. So there's no brutal back to back stretch of just big time games. There's no stretch of three or four games. Just, boy, you just can't win those games. But there's a lot of challenging games to where if Notre Dame is 11-1, and one, Bill, I think this is a big thing. If they're 11-1 and one against this schedule, assuming everyone holds form, you're now a team that has an 11-1 and one playoff resume at this point in time, depending on who that loss is to and what the margin is, right? So let's just say you know, they beat Ohio State and USC and lose all by a field goal late to Clemson. Clemson's the best team in the ACC. All of a sudden, Notre Dame's got a – a great resume or let's say you lose a barn burner to Ohio state or USC, but then you beat the other one. And then you beat Clemson on the road. Now all of a sudden you've got wins over Duke. You've got wins over, you know, teams are going to be bowl teams. And all of a sudden you've got a resume that's different than past years where, you know, your one loss in past years, like in 2021, your one loss is Cincinnati. That's a good resume. Well, Notre Dame should be a playoff team based on what they beat zero ranked teams that year. Right. So it was Cincinnati was the only really good team that you played that year. This schedule sets up more nicely where there's a little bit more margin for error where you don't have to go 12-0 and against the schedule because it is a lot more challenging than it's been. So I think it sets up nicely where you have a nice balance of just you don't have that gauntlet they've had in the past. You've got a chance to kind of get everybody going early in the season against some beatable schedules or play teams where you don't have to play your best to beat Navy and Tennessee State. You know, So I think whereas opposed to just, hey, first game, Marcus Freeman, welcome to college football. Let's go play Ohio State in Columbus, right? right? And so, uh, and then next game you play a nine ten win Marshall team in game two. Like, good luck with that, right? 
And and so this year it's a it's a lot more manageable, but also still the win loss opponent win loss record of this year's opponents is better than it was last year's. And last year's schedule was one of the better you know tougher schedules in the country. But I think this year it's placed a lot more effectively than it was. Like because I think first four games last year you played Ohio State, or first five games last year you played Ohio State, North Carolina, and BYU. <sighs> Plus Marshall, who was a nine ten win team, right? Well, this year, and your other opponent was a Pac-12 team in Cal that was, you know, borderline bowl team the year before. They struggled, but it was still Pac-12. Now, this year, you're going to have Navy, Tennessee State, Central Michigan. So it's a much more manageable first five games, or first four games leading to Ohio State than it was last year, which is good for Notre Dame, I think. Michigan's but. used that formula. Oh my God! For sure, Brian. So, let me, anyway, uh, let me let get me Brian, started on Michigan. Let me, before Brian goes, before Brian goes, I did want to tell him Michigan's first four opponents are East Carolina, Bowling Green, UNLV, and Rutgers. You got any comment on that? Other than to smirk <laughs> like you're smirking right now. I look. I under Michigan is another team that used to have really tough September schedules. And there was a need to lighten that up. Like, I, I believe you have to be a little bit smarter about how you schedule. You need to have a good early season schedule, but you can't have a gauntlet of Notre Dame and this good and then Colorado and, you know, like they used to have. I mean, what was one year in the big, they, they, they're trying to win a Big Ten and they got to play Cordell Stewart in Colorado and Notre Dame out of conference. Right. You know, you, you can't do that, right? Because the, you, you're going to have Penn State, you're going to have Michigan State, you're going to have Ohio State. But then there's going in the opposite direction with the hot garbage they've had the last the last years. Now this year's is a little better than last year's, right? I mean, East Carolina is a, a quality program, but it's just like, come on, you're Michigan and your Texas best non-conference is Texas is coming. Is, give me, Texas I mean, is coming on. in 2024, right? So that that'll be a nice non-conference. So you get like two a good home and home every 10 years, you know? <laughs> like you got to find that balance, and I think Michigan is not able to find that. And Notre Dame hasn't been able to find that in some years too, Bill, where it's some years it's like, okay, you start the season off really two of your first three games are Louisville and Georgia. Like, really, that seemed like a good idea to you. And then and then other years you're like, man, this is a pretty soft schedule, right? right exactly. So it's finding that balance is hard. And, and two, you can't always control how teams are going to be. Like, remember when you know Florida State and Alabama played a season opener a few years ago, and Florida State sucked that year. They were like seven and six. I don't blame Alabama for that because the four years before they were 10 plus wins. And then one of those years before they had won a championship. So you, you, you can't always, you know, you can't always know how a team is going to be. I, I think the intent to schedule well is there with Michigan. The intent is clearly to schedule cupcakes to get ready for big 10 play. And I just don't have a ton of respect. I mean, if you run the table, you, you're in, but I think it puts Michigan in a situation where you can't afford to lose to Ohio state and make an argument to be in the playoff because you have no you tested yourself in zero ways outside of your conference. And so if you don't run the table, you don't deserve to be in. And I don't know if that's necessarily where you want to be. Not for a team that's established. I think that's great to do if you're going into your first year as a your first two years for a head coach. It's like with Baylor. Baylor's scheduled for success with Art Bryles. The problem is they just never went away from that. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually once right. you get going, okay, you you've now built your program up. Now maybe schedule to challenge yourselves a little bit. And that's what I hope Michigan starts doing more and more of. Because we want to see those games, right? Like, you and I joke about, oh, Michigan. I hate I hate Michigan. I'm a Notre Dame guy. But I'm a college football guy. Right. I, I, I miss those non-conference games where you get those great battles. You know, I miss the watching Cordell Stewart and Michael Westbrook and Charles Johnson going against Michigan in the big house. That's a, a classic epic game, right? You know, we weren't that far away from Colorado being a national champion. I, I, I like those games. I want those games. I want more of those games in college football. And it just – it's a bummer to see a program like Michigan 
scheduling the way that they've scheduled the last two years. I don't think Michigan fans want to see Michael Westbrook or Cordell Stewart or Charles Johnson in the big house anytime soon, <laughs> true, based, true. based on the one experience they had <laughs> with them. I'm pretty yeah, sure maybe, they'd... they'd be good against them now. You know, right. we're all in our 40s and 50s, but yeah. I, I, I think there's a generation of fans that remember that game. But yeah, Brian, that was great, man. Um, as always, I we, we enjoy talking to you. So um, yeah, that's all I got. Thanks, thanks I, you, yeah, very good. If you're a Notre Dame fan, Irish Breakdown, place to be uh, for podcasts for uh, on the website. Got all kinds of information all season long. Uh, Brian, thanks for being with us. We're going to kick you out. And then uh, Bill and I are going to talk a little spring practice quarterback battles. Thanks uh, for having me on, guys. All right. Take it easy, Brian. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Very good. Um, Brian's great. I mean, he's, he's, he's got all the information, does he not? He does. He's the best when it comes to Notre Dame. I enjoy talking to him. And uh, obviously we have a longstanding Notre Dame versus the Big Ten little rivalry that we like to do. So he's he's a good sport about it. And, um, you know, we're lucky that he uh, helps us out with this podcast, no doubt. No question. So um, some Trochi trivia before we get into uh, our spring quarterback battles to watch. Uh, we just spent uh, half an hour talking about Notre Dame. Uh, I'm going to go with Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman set the ACC record for touchdown passes uh, with 108 before at Wake Forest before he transferred to Notre Dame this offseason. He is second all-time ACC leading passer. Who is the all-time leading passer in the ACC? Touchdown passes? Nope. Sam Hartman oh. is the all-time leader in touchdown passes. Career yardage. Who is oh, the yardage. all-time passing okay. leader? Sam Hartman finished second in the ACC to this quarterback. Uh, we will get to the answer at the end of the show. So, Bill, you wrote a story, I think it was two weeks ago, on SportingNews.com. Eight quarterback battles to watch in spring practice. Um, very good story there's a lot of them out there uh let's start with the 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 most fascinating and that's going to be at, at texas with quinn ewers and arch manning what do you think oh yeah i mean obviously this it's a manning i keep telling our editor that you know elliot that uh it's arch manning you know i know this freshman class is loaded i get mm-hmm. it you know tennessee's got nico dante moore we're going to talk about him in a minute but they're not named manning their 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 uncles didn't win Super Bowls and they're you know like that's as soon as he steps on campus I I think the Texas spring game will be the most watched spring game 
and people will look for you'll see in our day and age why where, where is longhorn network you know that kind of thing because they're absolutely going to be a high level fascination with him and there was already a high level fascination with quinn ewers last year well exactly we, i mean quinn ewers was like the highest rated quarterback in the right. history of quarterbacks and then all, all of a sudden him and arch manning are sharing a campus right now i think it if you looked at if we did it somebody i'm sure said, said this if you looked at 24 7 sports's quarterback rankings it's in theory the highest rated quarterback battle ever has to be because they're both five-star guys with like 99.993 rankings so yeah that's why and i think it's the pressure's on yours and it's almost unfair is i do think he'll start i think he'll start against alabama but it's one of those deals and we know how college football fans are irrational and it's not the nfl where the first incompletion and yours played awesome against alabama before he got hurt last year First three and out, we, we got to see Manning. Because that's how it worked at Tennessee with Peyton. And he came in when there was some injuries, obviously, to Todd Helton and Colquitt. But, um, and that was like that with Eli, I'm sure. But now we're in social media age where everybody's tweeting about it. So I, I, I do think it's going to be fascinating. It will be interesting to see if Quinn Ewers can hold on to that job for the entire season, how they play Manning, how they mix him in and what the end result is for Texas, which is still not over the hump with Steve Sarkeesian and winning these close games. Well, yeah, and that was like Ewers did just enough to play well. And, you know, he wasn't obviously labeled a bust by any stretch. But he had that, you know, he got hurt. He had some durability questions. And... You know, like he played again. I'm looking it up right now. The the Texas game. I know. I'm sorry. The TCU game late in the year. It was a big game. The offense produced three points. Right. Right. You know, they lost 17-10. Texas scored a defensive touchdown. They only scored three points. So that leads to we can do better than Quinn Ewers thoughts. You know, at first he was like he was awesome against Alabama. It's like all right, this guy is leading up to the hype. But you know, he left a little bit of question enough to make this spring just absolutely crazy, right? You know, because he was not – he was not – if he didn't play uh, as well as he did against Alabama the rest of the year, uh, and so it, it will be – yeah, the, it's, it's going to be really – thing is – the funny thing is, as crazy as this sounds, and I know we're going to talk about these schools in a minute, I think Quinn Ewers would start at Ohio State this year had he stayed, <laughs> which is just – this is the world we live in with quarterbacks. That's a very good point. That's funny. So, yeah, that brings me to uh, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, the big three that you were talking about. The big three all lost their starting quarterbacks last year. Um, which of these teams, which of the big three, would you say the team is most is going to be most dependent on their first-time starter? See, I, I could go in reverse order. So I think Georgia's least – I think of the three, they'd be the least because we talked to Mike Griffith last week and we had, thank you to all our listeners who listened to that. Uh, Carson Beck fits in that system. I think with the new offensive coordinator, Mike Griffith made it sound like whoever's in there is going to be okay. I think there's a, I'd say number two to me is probably Alabama because yes, they need to be better, but I don't, I see which direction they're going to go with. Milrow or Holstein or Simpson and, and depending on like he made it work in one week with Milrow to beat Texas A&M 
Like it wasn't pretty. They didn't look great though. I mean, Texas right. is not a good team, and they had to go right down the the buzzer. But so. in terms of being dependent on the quarterback, the answer to me is Ohio State. Like okay. McCord or uh, Devin Brown, you know, they're running a a Porsche basically. They 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 score forty plus points, and I think that the reason why is because they've had their last three quarterbacks were Dwayne Haskins, who won the job over Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Fields, who the Bears would be crazy to trade him, and then. <laughs> um, CJ Stroud, who's the next one going to the NFL? So I, but I would understand, Bill, if your answer was Alabama here. I totally get it, but I just think with Ohio State and how central that quarterback is to the entire organization, I would say them. Yeah. So I think I agree with you that the, the, the quarterback stirs the drink at Ohio State more than at Alabama and Georgia. For now. And, and I mean, Alabama, though, yeah, that they've probably got the biggest question of the three to me. Because to me, it's like Ohio State, if they start McCord and Georgia starts back, I'm like, okay, my opinion of them doesn't change. I'm probably going to watch Alabama because some people are writing off Milrow, perhaps unfairly. But right now, he's probably has the lead until we see it in the spring. And, and what Simpson, especially Ty Simpson. And when you heard all the rumors about Alabama and Drake May, and, and that tells me that maybe they're not you know, whether or not those rumors were unfounded about the amount of money that was involved, um, that they're, they're, they're certainly open to looking. Right, right. And then, of course, new offensive coordinator in Tommy Reese, who we already talked about. Let's talk about two other uh, interesting scenarios. Ole Miss and UCLA, they each have three quarterbacks uh, battling um, this spring. They'll all get presumably time. Uh, Ole Miss, interesting construction with their, uh, you know, they used the transfer portal to get Walker Howard and Spencer Sanders. They already have basically returning starter in Jackson, Jackson Dart, and he brings in two high-profile transfers. Uh, so that should be an interesting one to watch. UCLA, of course, the, the high-profile freshman Dante Moore. Can he come in? Uh, they also have uh, Ethan Garbers, who was uh, Dorian Thompson, Thompson Robinson's backup last year. Uh, might have the lead in that job. Colin Schley, uh, transfer, uh, I think from the MAC, right? Yeah, Kent State. Kent State. Um, so there's three man battle at two schools. You would think the guy who feels like he's third after spring practice is going to hit the the May transfer portal. Um, which one do you think? Uh, did, and do you think that the, the a, a transfer will come out of either UCLA and Ole Miss? And if so, who's keeping an eye on it? It looks like Auburn and Florida could use a little uh, help in their quarterback rooms. I think, well, if Spencer Sanders is allowed to transfer twice in the same, and I think he is. Um, yeah, he's a graduate. so Yeah, he can do whatever. So it's the loser of Jackson Dart and Sanders. Even if Walker Howard doesn't win the job, I think he's going to stay. Okay. Because I think they can wait one more year with him, and then he can go and have the job. So the loser there could end up somewhere. And then I think Garbers is an interesting one because of those five-star freshmen I mentioned, Dante Moore with his skill set and what he does and what he could do with Chip Kelly would be the most likely of those five-star freshmen to play right away because we know Malachi is probably not going to start unless something, you know, unless there's an injury. Um, we talked about Nico at Tennessee. I think he could maybe 
press Joe Milton, but maybe not yet. And we talked about Arch. So I think Dante Moore's the most likely five-star freshman to start. Yes. Meaning Garbers might take a look elsewhere. And if Auburn or Florida and it doesn't go well in the spring, that's where those guys may end up. Any other QB battles you want to touch on before I <laughs> no, there's so many. The trivia question? No, I mean, I think, you know, there, there'll be more that pop up. I, I, Wisconsin was interesting to me because he brought in a bunch of transfers. And one of the things, whether, it, you know, it's uh, Mordecai or Evers or whoever that, that takes over for Luke Fickle, I'm looking for a leap in their quarterback production. So that's one that's probably a little off the radar in terms of interesting but because it's Luke Fickle's first year, and, and then Matt Rule at Nebraska, you know, with Casey Thompson and Sims. Um, we talked to Sip a couple weeks ago about Nebraska, and I think that quarterback battle is worth watching. Those are the two Big Ten West programs. I'm wondering how big the leap will be, so I'm definitely into, into those quarterback battles as well. And there'll be yeah. more. Yeah, that Jeffrey Sims from, from Georgia Tech trying to win the job at Nebraska, that's definitely one to watch. Uh, it should be interesting. Okay, trivia time. Trivia answer. The uh, uh, Sam Hartman has finished second in his career in the ACC in total career passing yards. Who is the ACC's career leader? Who is the t- the player that he did not pass during his time at Wake Forest? I think it's Taj Boyd. That's my Taj, answer. Taj Boyd from Clemson was the former touchdown pass right. uh, record holder that Sam Hartman passed, but he but did not, not have the yardage record. Can I have like a, a hint with the school? It's probably a, then it's probably a Florida State guy. I don't, you know, that's a tough one because you, you got to have a four year player. Um, it's not a Florida State guy. Went on to have a brilliant NFL career. Oh, oh, Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers. Is there you the go. Correct answer. That's a better answer. Well done. Well done. Yeah. So. so that that yeah, he was around NC State for a while and he's probably up there on the touchdown record i knew taj boyd was one of them because i remember in our podcast last fall i think you mentioned the touchdowns one and, and taj boyd was part of your spiel there so <laughs> i do i do listen to you bill believe it or not very um, good very good yeah so very good we got a lot of people listening to us now apparently our, our numbers are up it's great we appreciate it um especially through the off season here uh we are uh growing here at the all-american podcast and uh We thank everybody for listening. We will be back next week, we think, with another special guest focusing on one of the teams we talked about today. We'll hammer that in. We will try to record on Tuesday. Uh, Bill, you're getting swamped with a little March Madness, a little NFL Combine right now, but uh, you are also working on some college football stories for us at SportingNews.com. I think you got a good start on on an interesting one about what coaches think of these clock proposals. and I think that will uh, that will be very interesting to get some different perspectives on uh, on what would be uh, a different way to uh, shorten the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now is off to uh, what I think is a terrific start with this pitch clock and, and shortening the games and just killing dead time. Um, and I don't know, uh, you know, college football I think is on the right track in terms of also trying to shorten the games. All right. Yeah, and then we're going to talk to a couple coaches about that. We've lined up a couple interviews, and we'll see. I mean, like I said last week, I'm in favor of them shortening the game from a three and a half. I think it should be around three hours, and we'll see if they get there. I've got some interesting answers so far. Good. Very good. So, all right. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening to the CFP All-America Podcast. We will see you again next week when we record uh, Tuesday. We'll probably publish it on Wednesday. Uh, but uh, that's all for now. We will see you next week at the CFB Nation All-America Podcast.